Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Welcome to the market regulation episode of Boxes and Lines. Oh Jesus, it's... December 15th, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. There you go. Take it, John. And guess what? Santa has just dropped in everybody's uh, stocking stuffers and everybody's socks. Santa gave us all a, a little new bag of coal, or depends on how you look at these depends proposals. Depends on how you look yes. at it. I think that these I do are it very as a nice present, actually. Yes, it's a nice, it's a, it's a lovely little So gift. we're doing a special podcast episode because yesterday, Wednesday, December 14th, the SEC's long-awaited market structure reform proposals were dropped on the street in the form of a six-hour WebEx call. They're called open meetings. The open commission meetings. had an open meeting. Everybody, uh, this practice. is when he tells us he used to work at the SEC. <laughs> not, I don't need to say that. People already and know the that CFTC. at this point. Okay, look, are you drunk? <laughs> no, I, I wish I was. <laughs> All right. Actually, it was a very. It was a very. Explain what the open meeting very, is. Uh, so an open meeting is the SEC is required to operate in the sunlight, as they say. And so before it can uh, uh, propose or adopt any regulatory initiatives, and it typically does it in the context of an open meeting where everybody can he- hear what's being said, the commissioners can um, ask questions, they can give speeches, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, they, uh, this was a very long one because there were a lot of individual proposals that lasted what, five and a half hours yeah. altogether, I think, with one break in there um, well, somewhere? Let me ask you your first question then on the actual process of this, because mm-hmm. I, I did watch it. There were four main proposals, mm-hmm. um, and at the end of each proposal, before they moved on to the next one, they took a vote. And yes. majority wins, obviously, it mm-hmm. is the nature of votes. But if, mm-hmm. let's just say, so uh, two out of the four, was there four or was there five? There were four, the, well, yeah, there were five there were, proposals, yeah. one, well, actually... There was one adoption of changes to Rule 10b-5. That's right. Okay, so it's four new proposals. Yes, so these were four new proposals. Let me ask you. On a couple of them, there was three, four, two against, so the proposal Mm -hmm. goes forward. Yes. If on that open meeting into the sunlight, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. it was three against two, four, is the proposal that they just told us about for the past hour not proposed? Well, yes, uh, but you know, I, I think it would so probably never get that, to that, that right? stage because yeah. I think it's. A, I don't think there's ever a case where these meetings happen where you don't know what the vote's going to be beforehand, or okay. at least the commissioners don't know. And it, it, the, the chair is in charge of the calendar and the agenda, and so the chair is unlikely to put an item on if it's something that he wants to be approved if he doesn't know that there's the votes for it. That makes so, sense. That yes. makes sense. So I will say about the meeting, um, it was long, but I think one of the things that I found kind of gratifying about it was there were at parts during the meeting, there was a fair amount of what I think of, of kind of like a good faith intellectual back and forth discussion of pros and cons, which you don't usually see much uh, of in these meetings. It feels like they've usually become very scripted. It was nice because it's kind of like what you would like like to see is, you know, people people with strong points of view 
but having uh, uh you know uh, honest honest disagreements and questions and yeah. actually trying to hash it out it was it was respectful it wasn't a slap fight but there was it was right. definitely wasn't scripted so you know right commissioner purse had some issues with some of the proposals yeah made them known asked some good questions so let's go through the four proposals one by one real quickly Let's I do. don't know that that can possibly go quickly, but proposal number one of the day was disclosure of order execution information, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Rule 605. Rule 605. Can you give us yes. a quick summary on what that was about? There was Rule 605 yes. exists. Please, John, explain to the audience what it 605 does. is. It does. Yeah. So Rule 605 was last updated with the adoption of Regulation NMS in 2005. So it's been 17 years, unless I got that wrong. I think it's been about that long. So it's very outdated. But the idea is that uh, currently market centers, which includes exchanges like us and ATSs and market makers, are required to issue reports that are publicly posted that sort of give people an idea about their execution quality, uh, the prices that they're getting, um, compared to each other. So it allows investors and other people to actually make kind of like apples to apples comparisons. That's a theory anyway. Problem is it hasn't been updated for a long time. Um, the, the markets have moved on since then. Um, the market's operating in a very different way. So they updated the rule um, to be uh, much more granular in some ways to use measures of price improvement and execution quality that are kind of like match modern trading um, and uh, so modernize it that way. And the other big difference is they also uh, are applying uh, this now to broker dealers other than market makers. So people like retail broker dealers um, will have to issue these reports too and allow customers to kind of look at those reports and help to make comparisons that, that way. Now, the hitch is they propose to apply it only to the larger broker dealers, those with 100,000 or more customer accounts. So it certainly would include the the Schwabs, the TD Ameritrades of the world, but it might uh, exclude some uh, smaller uh, to mid-sized firms. Very, very good. And the target audience of this is, is this retail investors deciding which retail broker to use? Um, I think, it, I mean, that certainly is one part of it, but I think the data can also be used by all kinds of firms and, uh, you know, other investors, institutional investors, um, too, to kind of make judgments about the performance. I mean, the problem is I think they don't rely on it too much that way now, just because the, the metrics and the data yeah, measurements the data are so not, outdated. Yeah, it's yeah. not that useful. So okay. So. So this but, one in particular was unanimously voted upon. Yes, so. and I think uh, certainly the least controversial probably of the proposals, everybody recognized 605 uh, needed to be updated. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Next one is uh, you know near and dear to our heart, exchange pricing, access fees, and transparency of better priced orders. Yes. Tell us a little bit about this one, John. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a mouthful there, uh, Ronan. It's a it is a uh, hello, John. Yeah. Please tell us about this one. <laughs> In some ways, the Speaking most of complicated scripted. set of proposals, but so yeah. it's so so. There's three big components. To let's it. go tick sizes first. Let's do. Let's go through each component. Tick. Let's talk about the ticks. Tick size. Not what the it ticks what? like we have out in Quag, which you try to avoid. Yeah, don't go down the Lyme disease track. Okay. Yeah, no, so, I won't do that. Sorry. Let's explain um, what a tick yeah, size so, actually so, is. So exchanges currently are limited for uh, quoting in most uh, symbols 
those that are priced a dollar or more to penny increments. So you can quote uh, $10 bid, 10.01 offer, but you can't quote any narrower than that. And that's been a convention that's been put in place for a long period of time. So, which means the difference between the bid and the offer currently today cannot be less than a penny. That's correct. You can, in very narrow exceptions, you can execute like at the midpoint or there, uh, you know, within a cent, but they're very limited exceptions. So basically, the idea is that it limits exchanges in particular flexibility in terms of how they can quote and trade because people who are not exchanges can basically execute wherever they want. I mean, at any kind of price increment um, uh, and they don't really quote anyway. So this would update the rules to require narrower tick sizes within a penny based on the spread. So the, the average spread for a particular stock. And there's four different, it's very weedy, and I'm not going to like geek out on you here, but there's four different buckets that would go from one cent down to a tenth of a cent. So the narrowest trade increment would be a tenth of a cent for the stocks where the average spread, the uh, you think of it as kind of the, the uh, narrowest spread between the bid and the offer um, is an eighth of a cent or less. Is that right? No, that's a tenth of a cent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Minutes. So it's a but 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 it's like sweet baby. <laughs> no, so, but it's point yeah. oh eight. If the average spread, oh, you're is saying 0. Spread, 0. I got you. I see. Got you. Well, I was point, right. No, no, point oh eight is not a sixteenth. Dude. Well, I, I I didn't say that. <laughs> that's eighty percent of. Look, we're only halfway through this. Anyway, that's thing. true. Sorry, 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 boxers. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I guess, I guess like for those particularly not in the, tr- the trading industry, they, they might think we sound crazy here. So when you talk He's about the, drinking, the, I, I swear I've verify. not been drinking, the term in the industry is called tick constraint. Yes. And what that means essentially is people have argued and people agree with data that right now the more narrow you can quote is, is a penny wide. Meaning I'll, you know, someone bids $9.99 to buy a stock and someone offers to sell a 10 the argument is that there's so many people aggregating at the 9.99 and the 10 price point that if there was a price point that existed between 99 and 10 there'd be the ability for people to narrow those spreads the spreads currently a penny what john was doing a really fucking horrible job of explaining <laughs> mathematically <laughs> was what the sec are proposing and they're proposing it's fa- it's fairly complex because now instead of penny wide they're talking about going tenth of a penny wide two tenths of a penny wide Half a penny wide, penny and, wide, and yeah. four four cents wide, and greater. Correct. Yes. Right. So if the spread is four cents, average spread is four cents wide. Yeah. The ticket oh, increment yeah, yeah. would be one I just one conflated penny. that. Yes. You, you did. See, you got that wrong. You're, you you totally screwed up. Four <laughs> different buckets is proposed from one penny down to a tenth of a cent. Right. So that's what they propose. Um, yeah. And and part of the idea here is to put exchanges in a better position to compete with off off exchange markets um, that don't have all of those limitations. So exchanges. Why, John? Will be able currently to today, are off exchange venues trading within a penny? They certainly are. So this is the other aspect of this proposal: is not just change the increments at which uh, exchanges are quoting. But also those same increments that we just, that Ronan sort of inartfully described to you were, are also the increments at which trades must happen. 
This is market so, structure smack talk here yeah. live. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, off-exchange markets, including retail wholesalers, for example, can and do execute trades uh, at prices that represent a very small fraction of a cent. Even down to a hundredth of a penny, right? Even then potentially uh, that narrow, correct. And this basically says that everybody in the market, the idea is, will be on a level playing field because everybody has to be subject to the same rules in terms of the increments at which they can trade. Again, the idea is that you incentivize people to send more orders to exchanges, give exchanges the ability to compete because you want more displayed trading, less dark trading, concerns about the level of trading that is not displayed to the marketplace now being you know, 45% of the total. So the goal of the SEC in this, by allowing exchanges, in their words, to compete, is to bring more trading on exchange. Yes. Uh, the hope is to incentivize more orders to come on exchange and uh, re- reverse that proportion of trading that is dark um, to a certain extent. Makes sense. What What do you think about this proposal? I know we're just sort of reporting the news today, but um, <laughs> yeah. What, what's your read, John Ramsey? What is my read? Well, I, what do you think? What do you so think? I think um, my my we'll sense, edit it out if you're wrong. My sense, <laughs> my sense. If your opinion to is a wrong. lot of, and I talk to a lot of market participants. You, know, you might not know this. What I have a lot of people know. John's a very important man. <laughs> So my sense is that there's a lot of support for um, having uh, uh, ticks smaller than a cent. Yeah. I haven't heard a lot of support for uh, increments as small as a tenth of a cent. And the trade-off here is um, you increase the flexibility for people in terms of uh, quoting, but you also create the potential for a lot of noise um, because the, the narrower the increment is, the more you have what people often call the potential for flickering quotes or people who are changing their quote, not really to provide significant price improvement, but just because they can change their quote faster than anybody else um, and they can get first in line for an execution. So the concern is that you create more opportunities for people just kind of like gaming the system to get an advantage rather than actually improving the price by a significant amount. True. You can jump ahead of a quote potentially if this were to pass Right. Or a tenth of a penny. So that's it. So I think that will be the argument yeah. on this one is not whether you should narrow, because I think most people believe yeah. that that makes sense, but just kind of like how much. Well, prior to these proposals, like the industry knew that the tick constraint was getting a, a look, right? And I think most yeah. every publicly, uh, there weren't comment letters officially, but many of the exchanges and other firms put out their own market structure paper saying that half a penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, made a lot of sense. I think there's yes. universal agreement there. So this I think there's a lot of support that very highly liquid securities could trade at a half cent. People support that idea. So we'll just have to see where the comments come in on this. But this one also was a- approved. Uh, the proposal was approved unanimously. The second big uh, part of that rule is the change to access fees. So these are fees that exchanges charge in order to access for, for people to interact with their displayed quotes. I think most people in the market believe that those fees are way too high. They were set back in 2005 at 30 cents for 100 shares, sometimes called 30 mils. And uh, in the meantime, all of these technological advances, changes in the markets, um, nobody believes that it should be that expensive now um, to access. So it's bringing those the cap on those fees down from the current level uh, to substantially less. 
for most stocks to 10 cents for 100 shares. Yep. And we're in favor of that. Now, the other piece of that is uh, rebates. So exchanges charge access fees. They sometimes provide rebates for uh, quotes. IX has been very clear traditionally that we don't we don't pay rebates. We think that they are not, it's not a good way of attracting um, liquidity. It creates all kinds of games and complexity. Um, so the SEC did not say that you can't pay rebates, but what they did say is that all fees in this proposal is that all fees and or rebate levels have to be determined based on volume that's already happened. Um, so basically backward looking rather than forward looking, because the way these things are structured uh, frequently today is that you get a better rate based on the total amount of volume that you're doing in a given month, but you don't know where that rate is until the end of the month. So you really incentivize people to do a lot more trading on a particular exchange because you want to hit a particular tier. So people like in November would be racing maybe potentially to trade a lot on a particular exchange next week to make sure they hit their rebate tier. Right. right. Whereas going forward, uh, the SEC would say, okay, uh, your rate in December is based on your trading volume in November. So you know you're paying X pennies per share. So you know. So that yeah. so. The potential benefit of that is that it just uh, eliminates some of the confusion and the complexity and the gaming around this. But it also allows, if if a customer is at the end of that trade, it potentially it would allow for each customer to know what the amount of the rebate payment is for their trade at the time that the trade happens. So potentially, if that benefit could be uh, could be passed back uh, if the broker and customer agree to do that. Very, very interesting. Isn't it? Okay, should we move on to the next one? The Let's more contentious on. of them all? Is well, there's another piece on the, although you may have passed over it on price this transparency? part of the price transparency. So transparent, I went right by it. You went right by it. You want, okay, do you want to, you're moderating yourself here. No, well, John, what I, do you think of price transparency? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We don't really have to talk about that one. But it is, um, <laughs> they, they had, they, uh, the SEC has already adopted changes that will um, change round lot sizes and also require odd lot quotes. So, quotes for less than 100 shares to be put on the consolidated tape feeds. So this is basically a, um, uh, it, it's accelerating the implementation of those changes to put more price information out there into the public domain so that people can use it. Very good. I'm so glad we left that in there mm -hmm. and confused the fuck out of everybody. Next, retail order competition. Now this Will definitely be this was not the most contentious. Approved. Yeah, well, yeah. So even in the proposal, those of you boxers who didn't listen in yesterday mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. on the uh, open meeting, this was proposed, and then a couple of the commissioners had some issues with it. Um, they did not vote in favor of it, and they asked the other commissioners and trading and markets to answer a lot of questions around it. And we'll 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 get to you what the hell it is soon, but um. This one, Hopefully, we think, from a eventually. comment letter process, will be the most likely the hottest contended one, right? Don't you think? I, I think it probably yes, certainly uh, best best execution for different reasons will be controversial, but this is a but this isn't. So the the basics uh, basic idea behind this one is that most retail orders today are executed uh, by wholesaler firms who basically in most cases, execute those orders against their own book as principal without sending them someplace else. 
And so the rule would basically say to a wholesaler firm, before you can execute the order internally, before you can sort of execute it yourself, you have to first try to send it to an auction mechanism that is run by an organization like an exchange where it has the opportunity to interact with a bunch of other orders. And then only if you don't get your anticipated price or your the, the price that you're looking to get in that auction mechanism, can you then come back and execute it internally? That's kind of like the the nub of what the but if they execute it at the midpoint or better, they don't have to send yes. it to the auction. So okay. so there's a, there's a big exception, and the exception is that if the uh, wholesaler is willing to provide full midpoint price improvement, so the midpoint between the uh, national best bid and offer they can still execute internally um, and and would not need to send to an auction. The other thing that I think a lot of people are confused about is that it's not just a, a general mandate to send orders to an exchange. It's It basically just says you can't execute internally unless you try to execute it in a different way. But the wholesaler under the rule proposal could still send it to an exchange just, you know, uh, not not to an auction mechanism, but just in the ordinary way that you send orders to access uh, exchange quotes. They could do that. They could send it to an ATS. They could send it to 10 different places. They just, uh, under the rule, can't execute it internally unless they do this other step first. So so let's just say an order comes to a wholesaler in this new world, if, the, if this proposal is adopted and implemented, and... They don't want they they don't want to provide a midpoint price improvement or better. Mm-hmm. They send it to an auction. It doesn't get traded. Are you telling mm-hmm. me they can internalize it then yes. with less price improvement than the midpoint? And will that price improvement have to be at a minimum increment if the minimum so increment? So when they is send it, so so again, you're you're you may be testing my knowledge a little bit. You know, it's only be I haven't had a lot of sleep, well, I'm, Ronan. I'm very smart. I mean, so like I, a, I unpuzzle these things. It's a fucking six hour meeting, okay? And I had to like go back and try to like summarize all of these rules and then come back and publish it, you know, for our clients. And now you're like grilling me on the details. So I believe the answer is that when they send the order to the auction, they have to specify a limit price um, at which they want the order to be executed. And then I think the way it works is that if you don't get that price uh, or the price that you want within the auction, then it, when it's returned, that you still need to execute it at that price. At the but they can't price. put it in at, a, at, a, at an egregious limit price no, of either. Course. No, of course. Won't get no, because yeah. there also is an exception for, again, this is in general only applies to marketable retail orders. So orders that are designed to be yeah, able to gotcha. execute against the market prices. Yeah. Interesting. And these yes. these auctions that you speak of, John, do they do do they exist today? So retail specific auctions do not exist, but again, um exchanges have been in the business of like having auctions for, you know, I want to say decades, if not hundreds of years. So there's a a, a long history um uh, uh and learning around how you create auction mechanisms. Look, this one's gonna be an interesting argument because from a wholesale retail broker standpoint, seems to work pretty well today. And the conjecture is that if you bring that on on to exchange, there will be more opportunity for more people to compete for that order flow. And if that is the case, the thought is that it'll provide better execution. But it's 
It's an unknown, right? Uh, based it, it, to what it, they it, currently it, have it, today, it requires at least uh, you know some some projection yeah. about what you think is going to happen, um, and you know, and and nothing is ever certain or guaranteed. But I will say, as I mean, you know, look, I don't think you have to in in order to think that regulatory change should happen. I don't think you have to believe that the markets are fundamentally broken. I don't believe that it's it's fair to say that there's this binary choice that it's either. The markets are completely broken and therefore we need to change them. Yeah. I think you can reasonably say our markets work pretty well, um, but there may be respects in which we could do better. Um, and so I here's think an idea. There, here's what, an idea. What say you people in the, of this democratic people nation? People will say. People <laughs> will definitely not be shy. All right. Speaking out. And this one was, I believe we stated already, not a unanimous agreement. Uh, it was not. Yes. So this was a split vote, three, two, as was the next one and the final one in yeah. our four part uh, series. Series. I was going to say trilogy, but it's not trilogy. What, what's the equivalent in for four? Quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. You look at me like <laughs> not yet. So the best execution uh, rule. So the SEC is proposing to adopt its own best execution rule. Uh, FINRA has such a rule currently, which has been in existence for a long time. Uh, the SEC is proposing to adopt its own. Tell us about that. What, what, like, so why does the SEC need a best execution rule if the brokers are, can, you know, I guess they're regulated by FINRA and FINRA yes. has best ex and they mm -hmm. check the brokers on this. Why did the SEC need to do, think they need to do this? And then what would be the argument against them even doing it? I'm just curious why they're throwing a hat in the ring anyway. Yeah. So I think there's several um, aspects to it. I think, um, first of all, the, the SEC has all kinds of rules that in some cases are uh, mimicked by rules that FINRA or other uh, uh, self-regulatory organizations have. The argument would be that the concept around best execution is such a fundamental part of uh, protection for individual investors that um, that the, the, that kind of uh, protection is something that the SEC needs to own in a sense. It needs to have its own rule so that it can enforce its own rule. It doesn't it uh, doesn't need to rely on other entities um, for doing that. Um, and I'm not saying whether that argument is convincing or not, but I think that that is. An, but do an they think the other entities? Make. Can't do it. It's it's like you're you're in a town and you have a police force, and now another police force comes to the town. Are they coming to the town because they think police force A is not enforcing jaywalking, and now they will? Or are you going to have two fucking cops rugby tackling you every time you cross well, the road? Well, I don't know. I think it's kind of a silly analogy, but I, I will think it's say it's a brilliant analogy. I'm turning <laughs> off your mic right now. Get out of the room. <laughs> no, I just I think that if the SEC has its own rule, it can send its own examiners in. It can use its own enforcement people to enforce. Sounds the like rule. a cop and jaywalking. Okay. Can, well, you know, it can it can have a bigger impact itself in enforcing these standards rather than have to do it. You know, kind of uh, rely on other people. So, Will the SECs per this proposal? Be more prescriptive. Be so. Yeah. So. So. Here's what my the way that I look at it. again. I haven't read through all 500 pages of the release because you know I'm only human. Uh, so I've read what I can. The way from from what I can tell. I'm crying for you. From what I can tell, 12 hours in or whatever it is, 
It largely tracks the FINRA rule. It sets the same basic kind of standards. It says firms need to have policies and procedures. They need to review their execution quality periodically. They need to demonstrate that they've complied with it. All of the kinds of things that FINRA rule says. But there are two ways that it may be different. Um, one, one is it says that there is a higher, there will be a higher standard. So more, uh, tests required for firms that are subject to a conflict of interest. And conflict of interest, they, they include as firms that are executing as principal. So if you're, you know, not acting as agent, but you're executing as principal, like, for example, wholesalers or various other firms or firms that are parties to payment for order flow arrangements. So a lot of discussion early on months ago about PFOF, was PFOF going to be banned, et cetera, et cetera. The SEC is not uh, proposing to ban PFOF, but in this rule, arguably they are um, creating a higher standard to prove you're getting best execution if you're using PFOF. And uh, the, other, the other part is that if you're an introducing broker, uh, so a retail firm, you would otherwise retail firms, uh, introducing firms are exempt from the general standard. They are subject to a lighter standard, meaning they don't have to do an order by order review. They can basically just examine the quality of execution from their executing brokers and make sure that they're doing the job they're supposed to be doing. But they define introducing firm to mean to include a firm that is not receiving to exclude from that uh, definition a firm that gets PFOF. Okay. So they're basically saying, if you're part of PFOF arrangements, you may be high, subject to a higher standard. And if you're an introducing firm, you would ordinarily be subject to a lighter standard in terms of the proof, but not if you're receiving PFOF. Okay, so what that means, right, is like a, a retail broker that publicly says they don't take PFOF is Fidelity, for example, is mm -hmm. public. So mm -hmm. they, as an introducing broker, would have more regulations on them now than currently, but they would have less than a retail broker competitor of theirs that also accepts PFOF. Is that correct? Well, well yes, except that I think in that situation, arguably, uh, it, it could well be that whatever they're currently doing to comply with the FINRA rule would be that more than sufficient to comply with the SEC rule. So it may not yeah. be that it's any additional. They just have to that. report to both. Uh, right. Uh, and it will be, uh, you, you know, a lot of this will depend on how this rule is interpreted, assuming that it's adopted uh, by the SEC over time. Are people reading into this rule as mostly focused then on PFOF and, so, you know, because the previous one we just talked about, the retail auctions, yeah. had an impact. So I don't work at one of those firms, but I would imagine the wholesalers will have an adverse reaction to that proposal. Mm -hmm. I would imagine the retail brokers will have a reverse adverse reaction to yeah, that. Yeah, I think and this, one, this, well. th this one will be controversial as yeah. well. It also was uh, a 3 2 vote. Same, um, same voters, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, split the same way. Uh, and so, yes, I think many of the same constituents that will. Uh, be, be very much against uh, the retail order uh, competition uh, proposal would also have significant concerns about the best X rule. And, and some other folks may as, as well. Uh, you know, I don't uh, want to presuppose how people are going to come out um, on these things. All um, right. But definitely those are the two pieces that will be most heavily debated, I would expect. 
So before we go, before we end this thing, these proposals mm-hmm. came out on December 14th. Mm-hmm. What does this mean in terms of timeline? What happens next, John? Is it the 14th or what is today? Today is the 15th. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. I get I, it's, it's all a blur to me. It's all a blur. But yeah. yesterday, the so 14th. There's a 90, yeah. So they basically, so there's a comment period. Whenever they put out rules out, there's a comment period. There's been a lot of criticism lately um, that SEC hasn't provided enough time for comments. In this case, they said you're going to get 60 days from the date when these things are published in the Federal Register, which is this official publication. It usually takes some number of weeks for that to happen. But they said either that day or March 31, whichever is later. So essentially, people will have at least 90 at days, least 90 days okay. uh, to comment. So that means for those not in the industry, anybody can publicly submit a comment letter on any of these proposals, say yay, can. nay, way. Absolutely. And then what happens if the SEC close it at that point? Well, at then then it's kind of up to the commission. There are no deadlines or set times at that point as to when they have to act. Um, so at any point after that, the SEC could, I mean, they could just never follow up on the proposals. I think that's unlikely. They could come back with a revised proposal and adopt uh, the revision. It's also possible that they could repropose. That sometimes happens. And that would start the clock again? Which would sort of start the process again. Okay. Um, I think that's less likely in this case, too. Let's say the SEC get what they want from this and decide they're going to go ahead with one or all these proposals. I think think in the most optimistic scenario, because there's a lot of work that goes into this, and I think they they genuinely do look at public comments and consider them um, very carefully – you know, I would say you're probably talking about uh, the the fall of next year, um, kind of on the early side uh, for for potentially, but it's very hard to guess. So um, fall, just just to go along with what you're saying, would be when the SEC would adopt this. Would actually adopt, and then any rule and that is adopted yeah. would basically say, "Here's the new set of rules," and then any adoption would say, "Here's the compliance period." Yeah. Here's how long people will have to actually come into compliance, which will be some period of depending upon how complicated the rule is, how much. But it's generally several changes. months. At several but months. But it would, out, right? you know, it can easily be several months or or uh, sometimes longer. So we're into um, 2024, right. regardless. And then you also have the potential um, that people could sue. Um, there are people out there who have already signaled that they likely will sue on some of these proposals. So once they're adopted, if they sue in court to try to block them then that obviously can delay uh, implementation longer. But in theory, they could adopt and implement during suit, right? And Yes. Yeah, so what happens when they uh, file, when a loss, lawsuit is filed, depending upon uh, what the rule says and how difficult it would be to comply with in the meantime, whoever is suing to block it can ask the court to issue what is called a stay, which basically says, Put the rule in abeyance while we while this lawsuit is going on so that we don't have to change anything what we're doing in the meantime. And the court could either grant a stay, but it wouldn't have to. Um, so it is possible that some aspects of a rule could continue to go forward even while it's still in litigation. All depends on what the court wants to do. Okie dokie. No, very good, John. Thank I'm go- you. I'm going to let you get back to your desk and get to work because <laughs> clearly on this podcast, I learned that you haven't really read all of these proposals. <laughs> That's not true. I read a whole bunch. Of, I read a. Did you read them all? I read. I read something in Did all of them. Did you read them all? I read something in all of them. Yes or no question. Give me any shit about this. I have. What's your favorite Wall Street movie and why? Oh, who gives a shit? 
I don't. Uh, <laughs> I've already told you this before. Favorite Wall Street book then? Um, I don't know. I guess I could say The Big Short. I don't know. You just said it because it was the only other one other than Flash Boys. You it's could a very of. no, it's a very entertaining book actually. Yeah, so it's a good movie too. They did a great job with the movie actually because the book was more wonky. I thought the movie was going to be hard to make, and they made it entertaining. I finally saw Glengarry Glenn Ross because you'd recommended I've never yeah. seen it before. So that was a, that was also a good. One. The depressing life of a salesperson. Uh-huh. Absolutely. All right, boxers. Always keep selling or whatever that. Is. Always be closing. Always be closing. Thank you, all everybody, right. for Thank listening you, to bless us. Thank you, God bless you to all. Over and out, SEC and proposal. All a good night. Merry Christmas. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace, with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved.